All right, welcome back. January 5th, Ryan, happy new year. Or is it the cutoff point where you can't say that anymore? Well, I haven't seen you since last year. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm the guy uh, that says, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you next year. Uh, you know, like that, with, uh, a couple days left. Look, it's a great joke. I, I don't say it that much, but it really is a great joke. And you can laugh at it all you want, but it, it's it's or not laugh at it all you want to. But it is funny. Yeah. When when is the cutoff to when you can say no longer say, excuse me, uh, happy new year to someone? I'll say a week. Because it, you know, traditionally you would probably see everybody that you would mostly see within a week. Like I think of like people that you work with in an office or friends. So you're going to say by Friday will be the last time you'll say happy new year to someone. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say it any later than Friday. Yeah. I think my cutoff's like, uh, like the second actually. Oh, uh, so you're much early. You don't, you're not really concerned about everybody's new year then. <laughs> you two days and you're like ah, you got this <laughs> yeah i mean like hey yep happy new year and january 3rd hits if someone says it to me back i'll say it you know what i mean but it's eh, you know three days in it's just another year to ryan at this point <laughs> yeah yeah and uh i mean for you what it's it's year like 20 of having a dv the vcr combo which is still uh legendary yeah, it's fantastic. I just need to go find a rewinder, and then I'll be then I'll be set forever. Yeah, there's uh, this guy at uh, college who used to go around uh, selling. Hey, do you want a VCR rewinder? Twenty dollars. And when you think about the sentence out loud, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know what I mean? Like, why are you just selling the rewind button? You know. Um. So, Tuesday. You know what that means? Buy or sell. Everyone's favorite Tuesday. Uh, segment three entertainment stories three sports stories we're working on uh, some segments that we're going to debut on friday um but obviously we're not going to do that till friday uh ryan it's my week uh i have uh some interesting ones here so the first one is ryan do you know what quibi is didn't they do that weird super bowl commercial maybe not weird but like they did some like different advertising to, to build up isn't it a streaming platform so it was a streaming platform so they raised uh his name is jeffrey kansenberg and uh he was the ceo of quibi uh stands for and they shortened it for quick bites uh terrible name but uh <laughs> he was the former head of programming at netflix he left netflix to start this startup him and um i forget the lady's name but she was from i believe nbc um and she was uh a real big executive over there. Uh, they raised over a billion dollars in capital. Uh, so they came out in April during the pandemic. Now their promotional tool, every promotion when a new streaming service happens, and obviously there's been plenty in the last year, right? So, you know, you sign up, what, what is it? You know, you get 20% off or 14 days free, or, you know, you've, you've seen the promotions for mm -hmm. whatever the service is. Their promotion was you sign up and um, become a subscriber. You get the first 90 days free. So that doesn't seem like a very good <laughs> sign to begin with. But also, uh, I don't know if you're, an, well, you are an iPhone guy. I do not know that. I don't know why I said I don't know. but um, Because every other form of technology I have is ancient. So yeah, it stands well, to reason. Right, yes. Um, you know how on iPhone you can airplay? Yes. Like a video from your phone or whatever. 
Quibi was only a mobile platform where you could watch 10 minutes of a movie or a show on your phone, horizontal, horizontal. So that was the premise, but the weird part was you couldn't airplay a, the TV show or movie from your phone to your TV or your phone to your laptop or whatever it may be. Um, you couldn't even get it on an iPad. Uh, <laughs> and so Quibi, uh, like, for example, like I didn't subscribe because I was just like, there's no way that that's not going to work. It looks terrible. Um, they uh, movies, they did it, you know, in 10 minute increments. Movies were 50 minutes long, apparently, when I'm reading this article today. And Quibi shut down, shut down closed its doors on October and the service no longer exists as of December 1st. Probably, <laughs> probably uh, makes sense. Uh, and they did a lot of reboots too. They did uh, um, uh, Punked with uh, Chance the Rapper. Uh, they did Reno 911, uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple from Nick, mm -hmm. if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Classic, great uh, 90s uh, Nickelodeon show. Extremely uh, hard though. Extremely hard. Um, but when they shut their doors, there were still plenty of their shows that they had spent money on in production, including some season two show with Kevin Hart. But the story comes out today that Roku, the most successful streaming device, as far as like a smart TV, like with Apple or Fire Stick, whatever, uh, is in talks to acquire the Quibi library for basically chump change. Um, it, it, you know, and it makes sense, right? I mean, a, a platform that what launched in April shut their doors in October. Um, are you buying or selling? Because uh, I actually have a Roku stick, but let me tell you, I'm not going to get on Roku's, uh, you know, channel that they're apparently going to have this on if the deal closes and um, watch free Quibi shows for 10 minutes long. Uh, that's, that's what sitcoms and, uh, you know, hour long shows are for. If I want to watch something, I don't want to do it, you know, 10 minutes, I'll put on a YouTube video. I ain't putting on, you know, some scripted TV show. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I'm going to sell it because one of the toughest things to do is, is infiltrate this market and the places that have been able to do it and be successful doing it have big shows that everybody wants to watch. We obviously talked about when The Office left Netflix and, and Hulu is kind of the, it has its partner networks that, that you can watch shows after, or what is it, like a day after they come out, if, if you can't watch it live, something like that. Um, but like Disney Plus obviously has the big back library and everybody loves that and Peacock now at The Office. So one of the, one of the things that you have to do is, is have shows that people care about. And I, I don't necessarily, as much as I did enjoy watching Legends of the Hidden Temple on like, it, there was a weird Nickelodeon channel with our old cable package that you could watch. It was like Nick Toons. Nick Toons. There was, I feel like there was another one. It was like Nick uh, Gass. Team Nick or something. Like or Nick Team Gass. Nick or yeah. Nick Gass, something like that. And you could watch like Guts and Legends of the Hidden Temple. Figure all those old, yeah. All those old, like not weird game shows, but you know, something like, like our, that. Our 90s kids stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Did anybody ask for it though? I don't remember anybody asking for those reboots. I, I didn't realize that it was that popular to the fact where we were going to make a, a reboot of it or that it was even, you know, remotely discussed. So I, I think it's tough to get on another streaming platform and, and find your legs. Could be figured that out <laughs> based on what you said, but I'm, I'm about streaming serviced out 
at this point. Like I, I know what I like and I know what I'm going to watch. And and if one comes along that I can kind of go into, sure, I'll, I'll be open-minded to it. But unfortunately, I don't think it's Roku. Yeah, yeah big sell uh, because, by the way, it's also last year, um, you know, I read entertainment news a good bit, try to follow that you know, area often, you know what I mean? And, and uh, it was called the uh, entertainment disaster of 2020. It makes sense, right? You spend a billion dollars raising capital from a bunch of different companies like Sony, Netflix, YouTube, a bunch of different properties and companies, and you shut your doors, what, in five, six months? I mean, that's, that's terrible, you know what I mean? And they kept blaming it on the pandemic. Well, other services launched during the pandemic. The problem was, a, your shows are like 10 and movies are 10 minutes long, right? And they're coming out like episodes on a weekly basis. And B, you can't, you have to, like, if I pull up a YouTube video on my phone and like I'm at someone's house and like I, instead of showing them on my phone, I'll airplay it to the TV. It's just, you would think that's a no brainer thing that they would have done. It makes no sense. And quite honestly, I can't even believe Roku's talking to them because, um, it, it it makes it's it's strange some of the stars they got by the way to do shows uh like kevin hart uh did a, a show or a movie for them um sophie turner who played sansa from game of thrones mm-hmm. um like two big names they got one of the hemsworth brothers i mean they got all these people and it's like i you know it's a terrible idea i, I don't even know how it happened it, it has the makings of being you almost feel like it could be successful but I guess the, I guess the thing behind it is, is, you know, you can put the flash in front of something, but if the business model isn't there to sustain it, that, you know, that could kill it. If, if you don't have the right people involved. Yeah. When they closed their doors, last thing I'll say about the story, when they closed their doors and the service went completely gone on December 1st, uh, they had uh, 719,000 subscribers. It seems minuscule in the in the streaming world i i would yeah. assume and i yeah I'll, I'll have to pass on that one too now if they get a good show that i really care about let me know but the, <laughs> those those are not ones that i'm necessarily going to be fighting to find out and to see again but all right let's move into a sports one here so i actually have uh three different leagues to talk about so we're going to kind of switch it up between leagues today so i'll start with the nfl uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit in, in the episode of, of some of the coaches who have been fired and, and how that all shook out. But with the coaching fires and everything that comes with that, it also leads a lot of people to talk about which opening is the most attractive. So there's different openings that, po- that you know, possess different cap space and draft positions and such. It seems like the underrated one that nobody – it's not that nobody's talking about it is everybody seems to be in on the Jaguars being the top one because they have the top pick. I might argue that the most attractive one is the Los Angeles chargers with a young rookie quarterback who has proven himself successful, some weapons on offense, a little bit of a rebuilding defense, but still cap space, still a high draft position. Are you buying or selling that the Chargers head coaching vacancy might be the most sexy in football? Yeah, I was actually going to say the Chargers uh, before you even brought them up. So definitely a buy because, look, they got Bosa, they got Ingram, right? They they need more defensive help on the back end. 
um, the corner, I forget his name, but he was out for a second straight year. And if you watched hard knocks, uh, you actually got to see that injury live on hard knocks. Um, look there and Herbert slings it, man. He slings it. They, they let him do anything in that offense this year. And maybe that's partly because Anthony Lynn knew he was going to be out anyway, because he, it had the feelings of that regardless, but Herbert looks like he's the part. Now we'll talk about two later in the episode, but I still think uh, the Chargers won the, uh, the, you know, the draft on that uh, a year in because even if Miami's not going to let Tua have full reign, if you will, the Chargers look good. And, and let me tell you, when you're a college coach and you come from college to the NFL, the keys are building your, your staff, right? Mm-hmm. It's your staff that helps you that first year to get your sea legs and really you can tell after a first season, typically, if a coach is going to be good there or not. You know what I mean? And maybe you don't feel that way. But, like, look, if Urban goes to Jacksonville, I I feel like that's disastrous because, what, Trevor Lawrence, he's going to be the number one pick regardless. Do we really think he's going to be like Andrew Luck, like sensational? You know what I mean? Um, do we – you know, and injuries happen, you know, I don't, I don't want any player to get injured, but I mean, the best comparison I think I can make from a different sport is Derek Rose was a number one pick for Chicago injury changed his whole career. You know what I mean? Penny Hardaway um, from basketball. Like those are two that come to my mind right away. And Trevor Lawrence, like I, there's no talent around him in Jacksonville. You know what I mean? At least Andrew Luck, like when he got to Indy, there was like a couple pieces there, like on the right. offensive line. And I just, I don't understand why everyone thinks Jacksonville is such a great job when it doesn't look like that at all. So buy on the Chargers. I think the, re, the, the thing about Jacksonville is I believe that they have, without seeing a list, I believe that they have the most cap space to spend. So that's a big deal, but I feel like consistently teams that are successful build through the draft anyway. So that's kind of the, it's kind of the weird part of that. I think the other thing people forget about the Andrew Luck year, whenever he came was Peyton Manning was injured the year before and Peyton Manning, you know, kind of helped run that team a little bit. And there were some, like you said, some decent pieces there. So the reason that they were so bad that next year because of Peyton's injury, because the quarterback was Curtis Painter. So it was a little bit, (laughs) little bit different than Peyton Manning for, for those NFL fans out there, but I'm going to buy it too. And, and I think so, but I think the biggest difference I, to, to counter your point about a college coach coming to the NFL, I think the biggest, the biggest difference is, is, is in college, you can recruit players that kind of fit your system it's a little bit different in that it's a, it's a bigger pool of people and you're trying to recruit people to kind of fit your system and bring them in. You have a little bit more, a little bit more say in that realm of, of coaching. You still build your staff and you still have those relationships with those people. And, and the NFL, while you have that, you're also at the mercy of the GM and the owner. And, and that's a little bit different in, in, in that realm because, well, if, if they don't like you and you're not performing, they're just going to let you go. They're not, tied to it 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 doesn't matter to them they'll just kick you right out and that's a that's a tough thing for college coaches and I think back to somebody like Nick Saban 
Nick Saban is one of the ultimate college coaches. You can say he's one of the best ever, maybe the best ever, but his run in the NFL was not as successful because you're at the mercy of, of the people above you. So my hope is, is that whenever Los Angeles makes a hire, even though I'm buying this, my hope is, is that I don't have to sell it because they try to make Justin Herbert into somebody that he's not. I hope that it's somebody who is able to kind of cater to his system and, and use him in the effective way. You know, maybe he's not slinging it everywhere. Like you said, Anthony Lynn, probably being fired had a little bit to do with that. It was kind of an expectation, but whoever it is, I hope that they kind of allow him to do it. Um, you know, it would be funny because we talk, we've talked a lot about Eric Bianami from Kansas City, and that would kind of be a wild, you know, in-division transition. I, I don't think that'll happen, but somebody who's let Patrick Mahomes run an offense and kind of help cater him to that, can you imagine him with Justin Herbert as good as he looked? Maybe not J Patrick Mahomes level, but somebody who clearly has an offensive prowess about him. Yeah, and, you know, when Chip Kelly left Oregon for Philly, it was like, huh, here we go. Like he had four losses when he left Oregon. And now look, he did get the Eagles into the playoffs one year. But if you look at the rest of his time in the NFL, it was abysmal, especially in San Francisco for that one season. Um, you know, every couple of years we'll get, the, we'll get the college coach who wants to come to the NFL. And whether it's Urban Meyer, and apparently if Urban turns down the job, but it, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, they have their eyes on Ryan Day. Mm. I mean, you know, you, you got to build a staff and the NFL is just a different animal, right? I mean, the reason Harbaugh works so well in the NFL is A, he was a quarterback, but B, I mean, he just got the most out of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. He just, it's, it's pretty simple. Like he had actual NFL coaching experience. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you'll get guys like Butch Davis who will come to the NFL after having a huge successful college run at Miami for two or three years, but they flame out, you know? So you even have those kind of instances and I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, I don't think it bodes well in Jacksonville and I certainly hope whoever they get in LA for Herbert, they make the right decision at least for, you know, three or four seasons. Cause the coach, coaching table is going to turn regardless every year it's just a matter of how long can you keep someone there well and consider too in the nfl level I, this is so simple but it's something that i feel is overlooked with just the general population of fans consider a guy like urban meyer who's worked in college his entire life so he's working with kids who are presumably 18 to 21 22 years old so it's his system and he's running these kids in the nfl you have guys that are getting paid literally hundreds of millions of dollars and if they don't like you, they're just going to straight up tell you and say, well, I want out. Yeah. And that's not always going to bode well for a college coach coming to the NFL or, you know, for an NFL coach coming to the college level because they don't have that same expectation of the guys. So it's, it's rare that people do it both ways well. And, and, and I don't know what happened, but when Pete Carroll left New England, went to USC, came back to the NFL, maybe it's because he has Russ, I don't know he's doing pretty well now. You know what I mean? And Jimmy Johnson, one of the most successful college coaches of all time with, with the U mm -hmm. turned Dallas into a franchise. It just, I feel like it's, it's hit or miss because then you got Steve Spurrier, one of the most successful college coaches of all time and legitimately had one of the top two worst 
stints as an NFL head coach you can ever have. Lou Holtz was an NFL head coach. You know what I mean? Like, so, I don't know. Uh, moving on, you brought up Hulu a little bit ago. Um, that's actually my next story. Hulu to stay in the streaming wars because they've lost South Park. They've lost uh, Rick and Morty. They are losing Seinfeld here soon, I think in the next month or two, um, because it's going to Netflix. Um, they've lost their three most successful shows. So they have Hulu live TV. Um, they made a deal with Viacom today who owns CBS and like MTV, those kind of networks um, to add 14 channels uh, from, from the Viacom package to stay in the thick of streaming wars. Cause obviously, you know, they're not like a massive streamer when they lose their three most successful shows, but to get like in the live TV market and stay on top of that, you know, they're, they're trying to add more networks and compete with like slings and YouTube. And I feel like every entertainment story we have, you know, last couple of weeks is streaming, but I mean, we're in the streaming wars. That's, I mean, that's what we're living through. We're living through a pandemic where people are streaming a lot more and Quibi can't be successful, but, <laughs> but with Hulu, I'm, I'm going to buy that and I'm going to buy it for a personal reason is because actually those, those aren't shows that I feel as if I need to follow where they go just on personal taste. Hulu is, Hulu is a little strange though, because the shows I watch on there are some of the more like, a, 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 I say like adult cartoons, like I'll watch Family Guy or American Dad, but I think staying in the live streaming TV business could certainly help them. And, and I guess it depends on the model of the other ones, right? Because I think the thing that makes Hulu successful and why people like it is because of those shows that, you know, for instance, not, not everybody has a DVR. I know it's become more popular as time has went on, but, you know, if you say you miss a show or... I know this has happened to us personally in my household, a football game goes over or a basketball game goes over and it messes up a recording and you miss some of the recording. Well, you want to watch the end of your show. Well, that's what Hulu's there for because the next day you're able to watch some of those shows. So I, I think I'll buy it for that because I think if you can stay in the live TV market, you also have a, a bit of a corner on it. Um, it's certainly going to hurt them to lose those shows though, because I know people will follow them. They kind of have that. Um, I don't like to use the word cult, but they have that cult following of fans that will probably, you know, if they don't have a Netflix account, will sign up for it or could delete a Hulu account if that's all that they're watching it for. You know, I think I'm going to sell this. I used to be a Hulu subscriber, but um, you know, I, I don't, really watch the first two shows but obviously i'm a seinfeld guy you know mm -hmm. I, I like seinfeld um but when disney bought uh 20th century fox they took 51 percent ownership on hulu so anything that was rated m or above the pg-13 type of programming is all on hulu so you know and, and you still got people I, I can't imagine how many but i'm sure it's a lot of people who signed up for who have or will sign up still for the bundle uh with you get espn plus disney plus and hulu with ads for 12.99 because it is a good deal but it just doesn't appeal to me um you know so i feel, I feel like people will still do that but i mean you know if anything if you still do the bundle and then you pay for live tv you only have two services really, you know what I mean? That you're paying for and you still get all the sports that you want because they have the, every live TV service, whether it's YouTube TV, sling, whatever you want to go. Um, they all have ESPN. 
and that's where most sports networks take their games anyway, except for like, you know, cable of like, you know, Fox and and CBS and stuff. So I think I'll sell it because it just doesn't appeal to me. Um, Just like Nickelodeon playoff game doesn't appeal to me, you know, I'll, I'll sell that. Good thing it's the Bears on that one, right? You don't necessarily feel like it's a... I, I still might tune into the broadcast because if you watch the commercial, it's fabulous. SpongeBob's the field goal net. Um, I think he's a sideline reporter. He's really doing the most, isn't he? SpongeBob, yeah. He's out there doing the most on his on his calls. Well, what I need, I need somebody to tell me what Fubo TV is like because I still don't have AT&T Sportsnet, so how am I going to watch the Pirates and Penguins? Because... <laughs> Fubo is, if you want to talk about someone who, I mean, it, it just, I, I switched from them recently to YouTube TV, but Fubo is like, as far as sports goes, that's pretty much what their live TV is. It's nothing but channels of live sports. It kind of sounds like my life. I've, if I could <laughs> describe my life in one sentence, it's channels of live sports. All right, so let's move into another sports one here before I get worked up about AT&T Sportsnet. <laughs> All right, let's move over to basketball. So I have one NCAA, NCAA story and one NBA story. So let's start with the NBA story. Well, we're still early in the season. Things are going to shake out a lot different. You know, we're, what, seven, six games in for some teams. So it's not a lot of sample size, but maybe a little bit of surprise in the West Coast there. The uh, Phoenix Suns, number two in the Western Conference. Now, there are some things that you can say about that. Oh, you know, maybe they haven't beaten some of the best talent. It's still early. We understand that. But, yeah, I like the Suns. I like Javon Carter's West Virginia guys. I, I've kind of followed him and, and done that. But the Suns have really put, in together, put together some big pieces out there. We've seen DeAndre Ayton. We've seen Chris Paul coming in this year really well. And certainly Devin Booker, who is kind of the, the the star of that team, if you will. So are you buying the Suns as a legitimate Western Conference contender, or is this just a hot start coming out of the bubble? No, I'm buying them. Because if you watch them in the bubble last year, they went 8-0. Devin Booker went completely off the rails and just shot every single game fantastic, um, whether it was points or, you know, getting to the free throw line that's a dangerous team. Everyone expected them to be good after the Chris Paul trade anyway. So it doesn't surprise us. Right. But I mean, like you said, it's like, it's so early. It's like when teams go in baseball, like five and one in April and they're like, Hey, you, 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 uh, you think they're going to make the playoffs or uh, the world series. And it's like, why don't we talk about that stuff in June? You know, that's that's the life as a Pirates fan. I know you're not a big baseball fan, but the Pirates will start off like three and one and we get optimism and then it kind of goes downhill a little bit. So it has to be miserable being at a, at a play at, at a uh, baseball game in April in Pittsburgh at nighttime, like 30 degrees, 40 degrees. I, I went to opening day one year and it was like 40 degrees. So <laughs> not much better. And it was during the day. It was 105. So a little cold. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, I'll, I'll buy it because I feel like they'll make the, the five or six seed. They're very they're very good off the ball. Devin Booker plays really well with Chris and Paul early in the system where it's kind of like run and gun a little bit. Um, I, I think I'll buy it um, to always force this in here. Uh, the Knicks I'll sell, um, 
we the game we talked about during our broadcast the other day they ended up losing that game go figure but they did pull it out against indiana austin rivers gave me the most cliche answer i've ever heard in my life we just need to uh play better you think that's a that's a pretty good line every time a team loses we need to play better you could use that i mean that's universal but I mean, the Knicks right now, I'm looking at the standings. I have them pulled up behind our meeting here. The Knicks are the seventh seed right now, Ryan. It's, it's January. I mean, I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'm just looking at facts here. We're, we have a 500 basketball team in the East, which is usually predominantly a little bit slower. But also the Heat are out of the playoffs, and the Nets are out of the playoffs right now. So I expect that that will be shuffling soon. But – so as far as being a contender in the West right now, I'm going to sell the Suns for this year alone. And I'm going to do that because I think that there will need to be a little bit of chemistry. And I also have this theory of, and it's, it's still very early, obviously, but I also have this theory of the hot team never really wins the championship whenever it comes down to that season. And I think of it in terms of the NFL, it doesn't happen much because I think back to two years ago, uh, when the Chiefs were really the the ish, like the it thing of the NFL, right? Everybody was like, "You got to see Patrick Mahomes." I mean, we still say you have to see Patrick Mahomes play, but this was his really his first coming out party, his first year starting, and it was I mean, it was must watch TV. You had to see the Chiefs. And my prediction was is they won't win the Super Bowl. I was called crazy, and they got beat by the Patriots. Now marred by a little controversy, but still didn't win the Super Bowl. Same thing last year. You got to see Lamar Jackson coming out party. This is crazy. You're never going to believe this. I told people, I said, they're going to lose in the first round in Tennessee. I said, Tennessee is going to own, they're going to own them and own the line of scrimmage and they're going to, they're going to win that game. Nobody believed me. Tennessee wins the game. I'm going to buy that in the basketball win to say that I, I don't think that the Suns will be in the Western Conference final, but that might only be for a year because once this team has more time to gel and once they really have the opportunity to continue to play together, I think next year could be a really competitive year for them. And, you know, the, the, the West is not weak, but it's weaker, it appears, than it really has been in a while because usually I'm looking at the West and saying, well, I mean, the 10 seed's a good team and they're not making the playoffs, but the West seems to be a little bit weaker than it, than it has been in the past. So I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say next year could be a really special year for Phoenix. I'm just thinking this year might be a little bit too early for them. So for this year alone, I'm going to sell the Suns being a contender in the Western Conference. Yeah, and I feel like that's a, a, a good pick. Um, but then again, you did pick the Warriors uh, to be good, and they don't look good. Uh, se- 60. Wait, 62 uh, <laughs> points, though, by Steph Curry uh, last night. Um, by the way, Chris Paul is the ultimate guy who finds himself going to good teams late in his career like he has been, and he just, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out for him. You know what I mean? Like the Rockets-Warriors series, and he was in – obviously for the Hornets for many of years and the Clippers, the Cl- everyone, including myself, I always expected the Clippers to make the finals. It never happened. I couldn't believe they never did. Um, last story on my end of buy or sell Ryan, uh, are you a DC or Marvel guy? I'm, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but explain to me which one is which. Who um, we'll, we'll turn off our comments uh, tomorrow um, for, for if, if uh, you remind if you remind me 
kind of who is in each side. Batman Iron Man is Marvel, okay? okay. And you got Superman and Batman DC, Wonder Woman right. DC, Joker. I, uh, I like I like Batman. He's probably the one that I identify with the most. I don't know why I like that series the most. So I'll I'll go with DC. Batman has obviously had many faces over uh, its numerous renditions, right? Um, but Ben Affleck was the most recent Batman. Uh, he's going to be in the Z- Zack Snyder's Justice League reshoot, which, but that movie's been finished for forever. It's just re-editing, really. Um, later this year on HBO Max, he was in Batman vs Superman. You know, he was he was. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, actually, he was in only those uh, those two films as Batman, and he was going to do a solo film, but. Uh, as of today, he uh, he's getting replaced by Michael Keaton, 1989 Batman and uh, Batman Returns, I think it was um, the the second Batman, both Tim Burton uh, Batman films, and not really a shock. Uh, kind of interesting though, considering that they put a lot of stock into the Justice League movie miniseries. It's it's actually going to be a miniseries. It's going to be four one hour parts <laughs> long. Um, coming out on weekly episodes it's, it's going to be weird but it, it's been something that people like myself have waited for for like four years um Wait until quibi gets a hold of it and does it in 10 minute increments yeah <laughs> i mean it's yeah what were they doing um but yeah michael keaton's gonna replace it not really a shock either considering he's gonna be in the flash movie uh next year when that comes out so michael keaton is the new batman going forward except and here's where it gets weird. Robert Pattinson is in a solo Batman film. I believe that comes out this fall. So uh, I, it's it's all very weird, but are we buying or selling different Batmans at the same time coming out in different movies? Yeah, it seems odd, right? Because usually with superheroes like that, they're kind of judged by the character that they are at the time. And, and I feel like in, in the past and historically, everyone's like, oh, well, when he was Batman, that's when it was best. Well, when he was Batman, that's when I really enjoyed it. So it's kind of weird to have the crossover with it. I mean, I I guess I kind of have to see it to know, but I'm I'm going to buy it. And, and I'll be honest, I have not seen those Batman films that Ben Affleck was a part of. But just based on what I've heard from people, I've heard that it's an absolute atrocity and that they're not worthy of the watches. So I'm going to buy it because, you know, Michael Keaton is a respected Batman. I have to ask you, though, just out of curiosity, how do you feel about the Robert Pattinson Batman? Because I'm open-minded about it, and I don't think Robert Pattinson's a bad actor. I think he got a bad rep because his career was defined by Twilight. Yeah, but that happens to actors in big movie franchises all the time, right? Like, if you look at anyone from Harry Potter and you see him in another project, like, I saw Daniel Radcliffe in a miniseries uh, recently on TBS, and I was like, uh, well, that's Harry Potter. You know what I mean? Like, it's when people look at, like, actors from, like, big movie franchises. Like, I feel bad for Robert Downey Jr. as great and great of an actor, and he's been in other projects, many other projects. People are going to look at him the rest of his life and be like, that's Iron Man, when are you coming back, you know, so on and so forth, like, the same with, like, uh, Captain America, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. he was in a great film called Knives Out a couple years ago, people were still asking him, hey, are you, are you coming back, you know, are you gonna do it, like, let it be, you know what I mean, like, and it's so, they get typecasted, but 
if you've seen the trailer for his Batman, it's very, very intense and it looks very excellent. They film in uh, London um, and, and obviously London has very much stricter COVID protocols right now than the United States does, but they're still trying to finish that movie. And it's actually going to be a completely different take on Batman's that have been done in the past mm -hmm. where it's mostly been about the villain. It's going to be actually about the, uh, the Falcone family. Um, if you know anything about the Batman um, universe, if you will, the Falcone family is like um, really like the mafia, like um, in the Batman universe. And so um, it, it looks excellent. Um, the, the Riddler's in it and, and Penguin. Um, so yeah, no, it looks great, but I just having two different Batmans at the same time doesn't feel like uh, a, a right move. And I mean, Ben Affleck, at least there was like, continuity there you know what i mean he had been batman in two films before and he was going to be in you know the reshoot that comes out this year of the new justice league so it's all very weird yeah it seems it seems strange but i actually thought the same thing and and i got a little bit of flack for it from people now obviously you know i'm not a movie fan so yeah <laughs> we've we have well established this we'll we'll do ryan's movie corner here uh, soon i actually did get a dvd for christmas it was the uh, legendary movie from the 90s dunstan checks in uh, it's about a monkey running rampant in a hotel if, if you need something to watch it's like um, by ourselves becoming our own bit because when i talk <laughs> entertainment with you and you're like huh quibby what was that batman <laughs> okay <laughs> i know what batman is yeah okay. i love the dark knight yeah. yeah well you dc dc yeah dc i love dc yeah but I, I was I was more open minded about it because you're right. Actors do get put into this like bubble essentially with with what they do. And, and I think about it. The the one that I think about actually is is Jim from The Office because Jack Ryan is a successful series on on Amazon. And I, there's there's a part of me that sees the advertisement and I'm like, but you sell paper in Scranton. Why are you beating up bad guy? Like that doesn't make sense. So. I'm, I'm excited to see the Robert Pattinson Batman. I think the other side of it might be something exactly what you said is because it's a different take kind of on Batman and it's usually about the villain and they kind of build that into the story. Maybe, maybe that's why they're doing it. But I think if Pattinson's Batman's successful, we'll want to see more of it. So it, yeah. it kind of seems weird to have two at the same time. I, I do agree with that. I will say last thing, uh, Ultimate, and I feel bad for the guy because I've heard him in interviews and he's actually... Um, extremely, extremely like articulate with his answers. And, and he, he, you know, he's very informed on Hollywood and stuff is Rain Wilson who plays mm -hmm. white. That's the ultimate guy I feel bad for because, you know, he said in an interview a couple months ago that he can't get jobs at times because they'll look at him and he'll read the part for the, you know, whatever it is in the script. And they just look at him and they see, you know, do Dwight from the office, you know what I mean? Like, I feel bad for him because like he, he is a good actor and you know, it, it's that, I think that's a double-edged sword sometimes. Like when you're like in a hit series like that, like the office and you can get typecasted the rest of your life and people just look at, you know, Kevin from the office now, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he, he does stuff on cameo apparently and he's their most successful guy, but it's because he's Kevin from the office. Hey, if I'm going to make a couple mil a year, basically telling people, Hey, Sign me up. Yeah. Well, we'll do that all day. I don't need to work. I don't need to work in Hollywood again. Just send me a cameo and be like, hey, what's up? Like, right. oh, OMG, Kevin from the office said hi to me and he talked about Chili. Like, like I, I don't know. Seconds, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sounds great.
you don't really have to rehearse anything. It's fantastic. All right, last one. College basketball announced yesterday that they are going to be playing their entire tournament in a sort of bubble, right? So it's, it's going to be that the games are mostly played in the state of Indiana and they'll be using exclusive venues. So it, it sounds like all games will not be played in the same venues, but they're going to have a couple of different ones, but it'll, it'll kind of resemble a bubble, if you will, with that. So, I mean, pretty simple, but are, are you buying or selling this bubble idea for the NCAA tournament? And does it kind of take away from the, the four cities and, and the regions, if you will? No, I'll buy because <laughs> give me all the March Madness. Give it to me. I love March Madness. Um, I don't – the regions is not really what I care about because, like, ultimately when it comes down to, like, they might play, like, the West Bracket out in Anaheim, but then they'll move it to, like, you know, Kansas City, you know what I mean, or something like that. So, um, ultimately, I think it's good because you want, you know, the, the kids to stay safe. But let's be honest – the NCAA, the mafia machine that they are, um, their biggest money-making tool and probably the biggest money-making tool in sports, if we want to be real about it, outside of maybe the Super Bowl, is March Madness. They lost a $900 million this year by not having March Madness on TV and no conference tournaments. That goes into it as well. So, like, the conference tournament week, I love that week just as much, if not sometimes more, than March Madness week. I love March Madness. Indianapolis, I feel, is like a weird choice, though, because I feel like there's other places like New York where there's multiple facilities, right, and multiple campuses. Uh, D.C., which is a very nice hot spot for multiple plays, uh, places to play. But it could also just be the simple fact that they might have a better – opportunity to do the final four at Lucas Oil Stadium in a dome where they normally do final fours anyway, even with no fans, than doing it obviously in a place like maybe Atlanta, you know what I mean? Like, because each state's different. So, and when we get to March, it's going to be completely different as well. I, I, I missed March Madness last year. I'm so glad that it's going to come back. I'm very interested to see though, how they'll work out tip-off times because typically tip-off starts out at noon. And so if you're having four different regions essentially how are you going to because you saw that with hockey and nba and baseball mm -hmm. games started way earlier and sometimes if they went over games got pushed back a day so i'm interested to see how they do that because um maybe they push games up to like 10 a.m you know what i mean because they'll have especially that first weekend's a massive amount of games to get through yeah, well, and, and March Madness is not something that you can really adjust a ton of times because you're you're basically playing it in, what is it, about a week in a couple days' time? Typically, like, two, three weekends because you got the March got Madness. Two, like, right. the first two weekends are typically, like, or the first two rounds are, like, two days. Right. So, you're, like, four days. Two game, four days, two, you know, the two Thursday. different days of games. I know what I'm trying to say, right. but, you know, it's, it's Monday of, of a new year. Happy New Year. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I'm in on it too. And I'm in on it too, because I, I think that this is probably going to be the safer option of it. Um, to your point, I think that, I think this, the state regulations is kind of what's dictating this decision. So basically, regardless of what happens, Indiana is agreeing to make, make this bubble about as safe as they possibly can. Right. And other cities have, or other states, I should say, have shown that they're going to be more, you know, more strict on the regulations into each their own. That's, you know, we're not going to get into a political discussion of states' rights, but that's what you're allowed to do. So 
I'm going to buy it because I think it'll be fun to watch. Now, I do, again, think that this is going to be the safer option. And I'm like you. I missed March Madness. It, it's always fun, you know, watching those little guys knock off the knock off the big teams. And even when the big guys win games, it's fun to be able to see guys play in the tournament. And that was sorely missed last year. And it was it was definitely a sad spot of 2020 to not be able to watch probably the most exciting, you know, two or three weekends in, in college sports. And let's not forget they canceled it during conference tournament week. So we didn't even really get like the full effect of conference tournament week when the big when matchups were really taking effect during that week. Um, Cause like really you only got the Tuesday um, right. out of that. And yeah, I'm glad it's back. I, I, I am super interested though, see how they work tip off times. Cause are they still going to start at noon and 1245 or are they going to push it up to a late, you know what I mean? Cause right. college games definitely go over, especially in that last two, you know, second half. Well, in, in my, the, my understanding is, is that they have multiple venues that could work, but it, it's going to depend, you know, could they, could they still do regions at different venues in, in those places? But even then still, I mean, your COVID protocols are going to have to be extremely airtight because you're going to have multiple, the way that it works traditionally is, is that, you know, basically everybody's kind of in and out of the locker room as the other game's ending, the other team's on the court. So there's there's a lot that I don't want to work out personally, and I'm sure you probably wouldn't want to work out either. But March Madness is back, baby, and I'm excited for it. Yes, it is. Um, it's just one of the many events we missed missed uh, last year on top of the Olympics and stuff like that. And and um, yeah, so glad it's back. Um, Ryan, that ends our buy or sell. But um, we're switching gears. We got a little bit of an interesting interview today. Um, we got hockey. I love hockey. I'm, I'm so excited that hockey's back. I told you before this interview, I was just excited to talk hockey. That, that was the main thing about this. So today we have Darren Pang. Uh, Darren is a reporter for the NHL Network, an analyst. Uh, he's the behind-the-glass reporter, inside-the-glass reporter for the St. Louis Blues, a former NHL goaltender in some different leagues as well. It was just fun to talk hockey, but this is a great interview because Darren provides a lot of insight into obviously the season uh, and some of the differences with how they're going to be in the broadcasting section. But uh, some of my favorite parts came at the end when we talked about the Blue Stanley Cup. So definitely take into this and it's going to be fun. And, and just like March Madness, hockey's back, baby. And now our interview with Darren Pang. All right. We now welcome. Welcome on, former NHL goalie, currently inside the glass reporter for the St. Louis Blues and analyst for Sportsnet and NHL Network, Panger, Darren Pang. Darren, thank you for joining us on the Two Ryan Sports Show today. My pleasure, a couple of Ryans. Uh, always great to talk a little bit of hockey. You know what, especially now that we know finally we're going to get back. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to, to, to indulge and to talk some hockey and whatever you guys want, fire away. I'm ready for you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I guess number one, are, are you just ready for hockey? It feels like it kind of feels like it just ended, but it also feels like it's been so long. So are you ready to jump back in it and be behind the glass? Yeah, no question about it. Now, unfortunately, um, I know in my position, um, I'm not going to be able to go right between the benches uh, for right now anyway. Um, you know, they did it for the bubble and they but they totally enclosed uh, all the national guys that were doing it. So it was a little bit different. So they may have some exceptions, but I know for us locally on Fox Sports Midwest um, covering the Blues, I know in those games, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be up in the booth uh, with John Kelly, my partner. And so it's separated as much as possible. We're all trying to do the right thing. But, but as far as just getting ready and, 
getting notes ready and, and thinking about line combinations and matchups and uh, goaltending. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm absolutely excited about it. it. It seems like it's been an awful long time and it's just been so odd that October came around and we weren't doing anything. You know, Christmas break came around. Well, it's it's the whole time has been a break. So, so no, I, I think the the time is right, and I think for a lot of us, we've got a lot of energy uh, that we're ready to unload here. I think we'll see that in in the form of the players too, whenever that all comes in. But uh, Darren, so first question for you here, um, you know, after that one, looking at the looking at this season. So you alluded to it a little bit. It is a different season, and really, I think the biggest change everybody notes is the realignment of the divisions. So it's certainly going to be different. We're going to see some unusual matchups, even likely in the playoffs too. But uh, from what you're looking at in your perspective, which of these realigned divisions do you think is going to be the toughest? Because there's there's really some some unique matchups that we're going to see here this season. Oh goodness, yeah. There's. I think it's going to be incredible. I I I, I mean, I think when you put, you know, that on the, on the east side, and you you throw. Boy, you, the, you know, the Flyers are really raising their game. The Rangers are raising their game. Uh, you've got Pittsburgh. You've got Philly. Um, I, I think that that's going to be a real tough one there. The Buffalo Sabres are a team that they're on the rise. They made some changes. They've got to be excited about it. But now they've got now they've got to beat up the Islanders and, and, you know, the teams that I just mentioned, how difficult that's going to be for them. I think that might be the toughest one. Um, but every listen, every division's got a group of let's say top five, uh, maybe there are some teams that, you know, maybe they won't compete like in the Canadian division in the North, you know, many people are writing off my hometown of Ottawa. They they're like, yeah, that that's the last place team. I'm going to tell you, if there's a team that's going to shock people in, in the East and in that division, I think it's going to be, I do, I believe it's going to be the Ottawa senators. I think they're going to be ready to roll and they're, they've got some fire in their belly and they've added some good players and uh, led by Brady Kachuk. I think they're going to be just fine. But you know, then you go to the, the blues go all the way to the Pacific and there's lots of good rivalries right there. And you got Colorado, you got Vegas, you got the Blues. I mean, uh, you still have two years ago, uh, the Sharks were in the conference final for crying out loud. So, I mean, it's not like these teams are going to just drop off the map. I, I think the, every one of the divisions is going to be very, very difficult. Excited to see what Matt Murray does in Ottawa. We're, we're both Penguins right. fans personally. So mm-hmm. it's, it's sad to see him go from what he's done, but he hopefully he can kind of rejuvenate his career in, in some sense there. So we're excited well, think- for that too. Getting a long-term contract too. So when you get traded like that, let's just say you got traded, and that team that trades for you, all they offer is a one-year deal or a two-year deal. You're kind of like, wow, they, they made this big move for me. But they didn't. Ottawa didn't do that. Ottawa came out and they paid a lot of money for him. So he's got to feel good and confident. And it's a young, up-and-coming team, and he's still a young goaltender. So I, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out as well. Darren, I'm glad you t- uh, touched on uh, Vegas because. It's really an open-ended question. What's your expectations for Vegas, Tampa Bay, Toronto? I, I really love Tampa Bay, right? They just won the Cup, obviously. Mm-hmm. No-brainer there. But they have Steven Stamkos coming back. He looks like he's going to be real healthy. You have Vegas coming off a really, really good postseason in the bubble. Uh, actually, I thought they should have uh, actually made it over the uh, the Western uh, final hump there and, and beat Dallas. But they lost, you know, of course, 4-2 uh, th- in the series. What are your expectations for those uh, three teams? Because I also love Austin Matthews coming out of Toronto. Well, I mean, let's let's face it. Uh, the the cream of the crop is always the defending champs, aren't they, Ryan? I mean, so that's that's Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, they 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 signed Anthony Sorelli. Many people thought that maybe a Kalorn had to go. You know, maybe they're going to have to kind of, uh, you know, move off some really good assets just just to to keep uh, you know 
players that, that were unsigned, including Sorelli. So I think he did a great job. I mean, the bad break for them is that Kucherov's not going to be there. But in a short season, I found that with the Blues last year. The Blues lost Vladdy Tarasenko, similar goal scorer to Kucherov. And they were the first place team in the Western Conference because everybody said, okay, we can do this without them. In a, in a, in a shorter season, I, I think you can, you can make up for it. If, it. if it's a long season and you go four rounds of the playoffs, that's hard to make up for that kind of skill and those kind of minutes. So, um, but, but certainly they're the defending champs. For me, they're the team that's got to get knocked off. So therefore, they are the favorites to win the Stanley Cup for me anyway. So um, but uh, that's obviously a, a real good team. Toronto is a, an interesting one because, you know, they're trying to add, uh, you know, some grit and some sandpaper. And I'm not sure if they're a little late on this, you know, coming to the party. Um, I mean, St. Louis did it with Pat Maroon and then Tampa Bay didn't have it the year before against Columbus. So they thought they'd add something. So they get Pat Maroon and they and they, Luke Shen stays on board. And then they win. And now Toronto says, okay, well, we got to add some older guys too. And some, you know, so I, you know, between Joe Thornton and between uh, Simmons, he's kept Spezza. Uh, so I, I'm wondering, I, I don't know where they're going to be, but, but I like Toronto's, I mean, let's face it. I, Austin Matthews is a phenomenal player. Mitch Marner's fantastic. Uh, I like their goaltender. I think he, I don't think he gets enough credit. I'm a big Freddie Anderson fan. And I think he gets left hung out to dry a lot with their defensive system. And maybe they're not the strongest on the blue line, but I'm, I'm a big fan of Freddie Anderson. I, you know, another team that, uh, I, while you were talking there, um, I also love Arizona. I really think they're going to have a big mm-hmm. year. I think they're going to play really well, shock some people actually maybe end up as like a five or six seed coming out into the Western finals uh, playoffs this year. That's an interesting pick for you, Ryan, because they had a great year last year. Uh, now they lost Derek Stepan. They lost Taylor Hall after, you know, they lost draft picks. And so kind of many are wondering where they're going. Uh, there's thoughts that they're going to trade Kemper and where's their goaltending at. But I'll tell you one thing, and I, and I was with them uh, for, man, I think three and a half, four years in, in Arizona when I was their analyst. And that's Rick Tockett. I've, I'm a big fan of Rick. So when you're talking about the Arizona Coyotes, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards you and saying that, they will not give up this fight. They will stay in there and they will battle hard. Um, and I've got a soft spot for the people in Arizona and the Coyotes. I, I'm just not sure if they can score enough goals. But you know what? It, uh, I, I don't think Phil Kessel can have the year that he had last year. So, he, you know, I think, you know, for maybe some of the goals that were left behind, well, certainly Phil Kessel is a guy that can bring that total up a lot more because he, he certainly wasn't himself last year. Well, and if nothing else, the best uniforms in the NHL, in my opinion, those are some of the best and you can't, you can't overlook those every year. So if nothing else, we love the Coyotes (laughs) jerseys and with the reverse retros, gotta love that. So looking into another, another team here, but one player specifically, you mentioned them a little bit earlier was the Rangers. So the Rangers have been on the rise. And then of course the, the way that the draft works out, they're able to select the once in a lifetime prospect, Alexi Lafreniere. Mm -hmm. So what, mm-hmm. what are your expectations for him coming into this first year, being that, you know, he's kind of touted as one of those guys like a Sidney Crosby or a Connor McDavid that you can't miss in the draft? Well, going back to back years and getting a second and getting the first overall pick is a, boy, that's a, there's a lot of luck involved in that. Um, and uh, for the New York Rangers, the first time that they've had that in their, in their history. So um, Kako is a different player than what Lafreniere is, um, you know, They've got their center ice position, you know, sealed up a little bit. There was Zibanejad and the way he played in uh, Panarin. Not a whole lot of pressure, I don't think, on these these two young players, and that's good. I mean, I think if they're going into an environment, especially in New York, a big market like that and big demands, that 
that there was no goal scoring, you know, from the wingers and, and guys like Panera, and then it'd be a little tough. But Lafreniere for me is a little bit, he just looks like a little bit more NHL ready. I don't know what it is about the way he handles himself, the way he holds himself. I know the way he played in the world junior last year, but the world junior, a lot of guys dominate that. And I'm not, I'm not taking away from it, but that's not the way you determine what the NHL is all about. These are men. These are guys trying to make a living, but he's got a man's body. He just, he just, I don't know. I don't know. There's something confident about him. I, I I'm really interested to see him in the NHL because he's ready for it. And, uh, and everybody said the same thing. So I don't know what his ceiling is, but I do know that I believe that he's going to come in and be more impactful in his first year than Kako is in his second year. That's just my opinion. Well, it feels like uh, it's been a stone age since they were in the Stanley Cup since uh, that 2015 year, right? When they were playing LA and they lost 4-1 in that uh, Stanley Cup final um, and going to a number one pick. Uh, Switching gears, um, look, playoff hockey in the bubble, that was a once in a lifetime thing. It felt like March Madness for hockey. You start at 11 a.m. in the morning. You don't leave your chair all day. You have a five overtime game. You have some of the best matchups you've ever seen in the playoffs. Do you ever think that there's going to be talks in the NHL and the NHLPA going forward, maybe reworking a little bit of the format, uh, especially this year as well? They're, they're working uh, the format a little bit different as well. You mean to get into the playoffs and how we're going to do it with the, with the, with the play-in, the best of three? Yes. Best of five? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's. I, I mean, I think that's. There's still a lot of traction with that. Um, you know, I think especially. You know, maybe it's not this year, but you know, when when you get Seattle coming in, you know, it's just another team. You got 31 teams. You, you got to make it plausible for these teams, you know, by December to give them a chance to get in, and and I think that gives them a genuine chance. Um, listen, many people will say, well, that's not the way it should be. You should really earn your spot. I played in the 21 team league where on one of my seasons with those Chicago Blackhawks, I believe we had 68 points and made the playoffs. You, you know what I mean? We were not even close to some of the teams in the other divisions, but that's the way it worked right there. And, and, and we got in. So, so, I mean, I think we've got to advance a little bit and I quite frankly enjoyed that plan. I enjoyed that, that series. I, I mean, I was, fully anticipated that Edmonton Chicago series was the one series that I think a lot of us latched onto saying what could happen here. And sure enough, the Blackhawks, you know, advanced and, you know, is that fair to a team that, that, that was in fifth place to have to play the 12th place team? No, but I think you would work it differently than what they did then and, and have it a smaller kind of play in so that you give the 10, nine team an opportunity. Uh, but I don't, I don't think 12 through five, I mean, should be, what gets you in to, to, like it was last year, but last year was an exceptional year. It was, I mean, it just, it, it was an aberration, but it happened and it was exciting hockey and I was glad it came back. Well, and it happened on the East side too, because when we were talking about the playoff matchup, looking at the Canadians versus the Penguins saying, this should be a breeze, right? This is the 12 seed versus the five seed. We're the fifth best team in the East. And we watched hockey for about four days and that was it. <laughs> so not, not always, not always telling of how well a team can play whenever they get to the postseason. Well, I mean, that's when you take a best of five or a best of three, you know, in the old days, that first round being a best of three, that's just a crapshoot. That's what that is. I mean, like I went into that series thinking, well, Carey Price could win three straight games, one to nothing. You know why? Mm-hmm. Cause he can. Um, and then once you, you, you win once and you start making this, this uh, abundance of saves that are spectacular, you, you can feel the momentum. You can feel the, the look in the other team's eyes, like they, they have it or they don't have it. There's fight back or there's no fight back. And so I'm not saying that was the case in that series, but I am saying that 
there were a lot of people out there that thought that Montreal could upset Pittsburgh, and they did. There's a lot of people that thought if Corey Crawford got on his game, they could upset the Edmonton Oilers, and they did. That's why I think for the integrity of the Stanley Cup, uh, a best of three or a best of five in the playoffs doesn't work. That was a play-in, so we understand that, but but not as part of the playoffs. I think the playoffs have to be best of sevens. I think genuinely that gives you the true you know, a true winner and not maybe just a, a hot goaltender or a hot power play for, for three games. Sure. Well, and, and speaking of a team with the Stanley Cup, so obviously you're the inside of the glass reporter for the Blues. So I'm going to take you back a couple years now to the championship. It had to be one of the most exhilarating years to be a St. Louis Blues fan in, in the city of St. Louis. So can you even just describe it, maybe a few experiences from that season uh, you know, specific games or moments that you remember that really kind of set it apart because it was truly a magical year. And I think America kind of found themselves rooting for the Blues in that too. Well, the, the first round series was one that we were really excited about on Fox Sports Midwest because number one, they were playing Winnipeg. Um, many outside of, of watching the St. Louis Blues or the Winnipeg Jets didn't understand how intense that rivalry was getting two big, heavy teams that have played hard games. And the other part of it selfishly was I felt like uh, national TV in the States wasn't going to take a lot of our games because it was Winnipeg. And as it, as it turns out, that's what happened. So we got to do all six of those games. And so the one game that, that stands out is the game that the Blues were trailing 2-0 and, and came back and uh, won the game uh, with, what, a goal in the last 15 seconds by, by Jaden Schwartz. He scored two. Uh, but I was between the benches in Winnipeg and I could see Braden Shen skating. You know, here we are in the last 20 seconds or whatever it was. And Braden Shen skating towards the bench with the puck in the offensive zone. And I could clearly see that his skate blade had fallen off and he was just trying desperately to get to the bench. And Tyler Bozak was so sharp and quick. The line change was clean. He's a right-hand shot. Shen's a left-hand shot. The play goes to the right. And sure enough, Bozak on his forehand makes that play to, to Jaden Short. So a lot of elements happen to create that goal besides great hand-eye coordination by Jaden Schwartz. So I was thinking at that moment, something special is going on here. And it stunned the Winnipeg crowd. So for me, that was a favorite game of mine because I thought that series could have gone either way. Winnipeg could have won that series just as easily as the Blues won that series. So that was a turning point of all turning points. And, and you know, then I think the Blues losing game six at home against Boston where, you know, you're at the game, you're, the, the whole city's planning a, this huge party, and the Boston Bruins come in. Bruce Cassidy's a longtime friend of mine. I've played many, five different teams with Bruce. I've won two different championships with Bruce. And seven minutes after the game ended, he sent me a text, and all he said was, looks like, he says, looks like um, uh, the song, looks like, uh, oh, shoot, what's the song that they, they play? Uh uh, the, the song that they used all year long. Uh, uh, that Thank you. I, I was thinking of Layla. I think he, he, all he said was, looks like glory has been put on hold, chum. And that's what he always calls me afterwards. And I'm like, and it was just great. It was a, you know, it was a perfect visiting hockey game where they came in and they took away the party and they dragged, you know, St. Louis back to Boston and, uh, and then see the way the, 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 you know, the Bruins had to, def on home ice, that's tough, game seven, and of course the Blues played a, a great game to beat them, but, so I, I would, I, I think maybe game six, the loss was very fascinating for me 
to see how the Blues would respond and see if the if if the if the Bruins could actually go back to their home building and then hold serve, and they they couldn't do that. Yeah, and it's interesting uh, you talk about the Bruins because uh, Char just signed a one-year uh, deal. You know what I mean? Uh, a couple hours ago with uh, Washington for um, yeah. after leaving Boston for fourteen years. Uh, Surprise. My last question for you, Darren. Um, <laughs> look, growing growing up, I feel like every generation has like a sport or an announcer that they bond to. Um, for a lot of people, you know, me and Ryan's age, it's Joe Buck in football or Brent mm-hmm. Musburger in college football, and now it's Chris Fowler in Herb Street. It's what is the game losing in Doc Emmerich? Because he is a poet when he is behind the mic calling games, um, especially with, you know, Eddie and, and, uh, um, Pierre inside the glass. I mean, how big of a loss? And, and what do you think the game is missing uh, with him no longer calling games? Yeah, and, and I thought there last year, because Brian Boucher actually, you know, started kind of getting in there and he did the final. And and I thought that chemistry was absolutely outstanding. Um, I think that that group, I mean, will go down in history as, as, as one of the great national groups uh, in, our, in our sport, for sure, because they've been together for a long time. But Doc himself, uh, very unique. We're losing a kind gentleman. We're losing a guy that every young broadcaster, when they saw him down the hallway or they got a chance to see him up in the press box or got to knock on his door and say hello, you know, it, it was, it's the passing of, a, of a, just a, a great gentleman and a Hall of Famer. And, and uh, I think, you know, I, I think it's important for all broadcasters that have been around a long time to understand that there's always someone young that's, that looks up to you and that idolizes what you've done and that you take care of them and you treat them special. And that's Doc Emmerich. And that's what he's done for everybody that's knocked on his door. So I'm going to miss him in, in, a, in a great way um, for a lot of different ways. He just, he's, he's Doc. He's been a special person for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I know that I enjoy his national broadcast. It's always fun to know that you have a game on, on NBC Sports that you can watch him. But, Darren, one one last question before we let you go. And, and again, we appreciate it. But what are we thinking about the Blues season this year? How is it going to look going forward? Are, are they going to be able to come out of the West and, and make a run? Well, I think they are. I think you're talking about uh, Vegas, Colorado, um, the Blues. I mean, for me, those are the teams. They're, they play a heavy game. They like competing against one another. Um, losing Tarasenko, I still don't know how long he's going to be out. Does he return in February or March? Are they going to be more careful? I, I thought they were careful last year, and next thing you know, he's, he's not able to play. So, um, But I think Doug Armstrong is one of the best general managers, if not the best in the league. He, is, he manages to you know, move forward. Signing Tory Krug, who's a real competitive guy that would really add to the power play. The Blues haven't had a real quarterback, although Petrangelo had 16 goals last year. I mean, a real true quarterback on the power play since probably Shattenkirk. And uh, and then, you know, knowing that Tarasenko is not there yet, Hoffman. Uh, Kyle Clifford adds that fourth line grip that you're going to miss without uh, a guy like Alexander Steen. So I think overall, I mean, they're, they could probably have five really good lines they can put together. Now that they've added Hoffman, and I think their decor is, is real strong. Now, the, the only question mark that's there is the experience or lack thereof at the backup goaltender position. You know, Jake Allen was solid for, for the Blues, and now Billy Huso's got to come in here, and he's got to step up and, and do something he's never done before. So that, that'll be the big test. Um, and, and the hope here is that he's going to pass it just fine. 
Awesome. Well, maybe for your sake, they'll be playing Gloria again down the road. And you, uh, <laughs> I better remember the song. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Hey, that that's just that break from hockey that we're all ready to jump back into. I, I know you and, and Ryan and myself all are. So, uh, but again, Darren, hey, we really appreciate you joining and, and coming in to talk to us. And it's always exciting to talk hockey. But as you go about your career and everything that you do, I hope that you, your loved ones, colleagues, everybody continues to stay safe. We look forward to seeing some Blues games, and, and hopefully we'll talk to you again down the road. Thank you very much there, too, Ryan. I appreciate it. Uh, happy holidays. Happy New Year to you. And uh, hopefully 2021 uh, beats the pants off of 2020, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Gloria. Gloria. Play Gloria. I, I couldn't think of the name. I couldn't think of the name of the song offhand either. But even being a Penguins fan, that was a fun year to watch them win the Cup. Yeah, and look, the last question about Mike Emmerich, he, he had a nice little story, you know, about how, like, people would look at him in the booth. And, and seriously, if you ever have a chance on YouTube, even if you're not a hockey fan, just YouTube Mike Emmerich. Mike Emmerich, hockey calls or whatever. Just even his retirement essay that's still up by NBC Sports on YouTube. He's a master of words when it comes to speaking. And hockey and hockey, you know, I feel like Tariko is probably going to be the guy that they're going to put in there this season. It wouldn't shock me. You know what I mean? Cause he seems like the next logical guy. Cause it's so hard um, in hockey. It's not, it's not a sport that I feel like every play-by-play guy could do. Cause it's, it's legitimately probably the hardest play-by-play in all of sports. It's, it's the most constant motion in a controlled space. I mean, you could, you could say soccer is difficult in that regard because it's, you know, a lot happening at once. But I've, I've stood by this for years is that Doc is the best play-by-play in, in any sport. I, you know, there's a lot of great ones in, in all sports, but Doc is, is certainly legendary in that. And whoever they replace him with, there is never going to be anybody that ever replaces his and they score call. That is that is always going to be iconic. And when I see and hear a hockey goal, I'm always going to have that little bit in my head of Doc Emmerich saying, and they score. Like, it's just, it's it's perfect. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's, uh, it's going to be tough shoes to fill. Um, like when Keith Jackson left and they replaced him with Brent Musburger, you go from one <laughs> legend to, you know, another. And then they replaced Brent with Chris. But uh, hopefully whoever they replaced Mike with, you know, it's just as legendary, and I, I, I think it'll be Tariko. They haven't made that decision yet with uh, the season, what, nine days from now? So, uh, get on it. Miami, Buffalo. We got a 50 burger in Buffalo. Um, I love a good 50 burger. Um, Serve me the 50 burgers all day long. Josh Allen, that's a bad man right there. 224, three touchdowns. He didn't even play the second half. Matt Barkley threw a couple TDs and threw a couple good-looking passes to make you think he's an NFL quarterback still. Um, yikes, Miami. I Look, one of my friends uh, reached out to me and was like, look, I don't like your take about Tua. I, she, they, she said um, he didn't – he doesn't play well. He, like, they should have kept Fitzpatrick. They were playing for a playoff spot. You got to keep – you got to keep, uh, you know, the momentum going to get in the playoffs. Tua ha- but Tua is going to be the guy going forward, right? That's that's what they drafted him for. It frustrates me. We've talked about it. I, I don't, and we'll talk about Philly. I got my daily Eagles rant planned for uh, this evening. I saw the smile <laughs> perk up there. Um, it's just it's it makes no sense. And Buffalo, they look fantastic 
going into playoff weekend. And we'll touch on all the playoff matchups in great detail on Friday, but I don't, I don't know about Miami that that was a huge missed opportunity and it put more significance on the game. We'll talk here soon about Indy Jacksonville. Did it feel like Miami was a playoff team during that game? No, it felt, it felt like in a blink of the blinking of an eye that they were down 35 to 14. It, it yeah. felt that, that easy, that quick. Yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of how I felt watching the whole game too, is that I was just like, I, I, I don't, I don't think this team's a playoff team. And it's weird because I, I believe on Friday I said, you know, my prediction was that the Browns wouldn't get in. And certainly that wasn't the case, but you know, Miami really proved it to not, to not be worthy of that playoff spot, but you're right. It, it's weird with Tua because you, you did draft him to be a guy. I can't imagine drafting a guy at number five in the draft and, and basically, and basically wavering on that line because you have somebody else who's outperforming him. Now, I understand that there are situations where you may want to create that bridge for a quarterback and give him time. The, the most recent example I can think of is, is still a while back with Carson Palmer. Basically, they gave him the season to learn whenever he was drafted to, to Cincinnati. But I, I, I just don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about that bridge. I, I think you have to put somebody in and put them under the fire and I think if Tua would have played all season, I think those early games may not have worked out the same. And I, I think we may not have been talking about them in a playoff spot in the last week, but the other side of this coin is Buffalo is dangerous, man. We've, we've said it for a couple of weeks, but Buffalo is, is getting hot at the right time. And, and that's kind of what the playoffs are is, is really getting hot at the right time and taking that momentum through and, man, Buffalo looks good. I'm, I'm excited to watch them in the playoffs. If, if, um, if the Steelers can't win it, Buffalo is a team that I, I certainly wouldn't mind seeing winning it because they are they are an electric factory, and, and that team is, is fun. I'm so excited to see them on Wild Card Weekend uh, with fans. Oh, yeah. No it, cardboard cutouts. It'll, it'll be a little bit different with without the Bills Mafia. I, I think the sport that I've noticed that the most without fans is football just because – they, they do those cliche camera shots and such that are, you know, part of the broadcast and you know what, I mean, we, we right, right. get that, but you know, they'll still do that, but there's just something about seeing 70, 75,000 people in a venue that when that returns, I'm, I'm going to be very excited. I don't feel that I've missed fans as much as I thought I would, but fans of Buffalo is kind of a different story. I've been watching a lot of premier league lately. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, been watching tons of it. Like, like, an unhealthy amount. Like I'll wake up like on Saturday and I'll be like, who's Everton playing? Like who's Tottenham playing? I just, I just got into premier league all of a sudden. I, I have watched it in the past on Saturday mornings when I get up at 7.00 AM, but like that's, that's a sport. Actually, I kind of notice like the fans aren't there because even though the crowd noise like works for it, then the camera pans up, you know what I mean? Like on a long kick and it's like, Oh, there's, there's no one there. You know what I mean? By the way, do you watch premier league or, or is that not your cup of tea at all? I don't, but you know what I like to do, and you're going to laugh at me. So on the NBC Sports, NBC Sports app, they have a predictor right? where you can basically just predict games and yep. not knowing anything about the Premier League. I just pick those games with the hope that maybe I'll win money one day, but mm. that's, that's about my knowledge of it. So maybe what I should do is watch it more so then I actually know and have an expectation of how that's going to work. Well, the reason I started watching it is because Premier League was actually the first sport back from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, 
games start at like seven in the morning, like East coast time. Mm-hmm. So like what I'm, I'm bored and like, you know, I'll just put on premier league. Uh, there's your soccer talk. You're not giving enough credit to NASCAR for being the first American sport back. <sighs> Ryan's NASCAR picks uh, <laughs> coming to you soon. Um, <laughs> is that a t-shirt idea? Uh, Ryan's NASCAR picks. Uh, yeah. And it'd just be a, a blank slate of a piece of paper one through I think 36 races. So <laughs> Okay. Okay. Uh, duly noted. You watch NASCAR. I'll watch Premier League. We'll, we'll get it all squared away. Fair enough. Um, the Baltimore Cincy game. Whew. Uh, That's Baltimore. Um, my take about Baltimore missing the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I was obviously wrong. I'm fine with that. Um, but the, the team rushed for 404 yards. Team rushing. Um, look, I I don't know where Baltimore stands. I really don't because. They've won five in a row, right? They look red hot, but it still feels like they're going to get knocked out in the playoffs this weekend. And, you know, I, I we'll, we'll touch on that game on Friday. I, I really want to talk playoffs, but, you know, this isn't the show for it. Um, look, Baltimore, they just, since he's trying to build something there, and it almost feels like they need someone on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I know I heard some uh, people on NFL Network uh, today saying that, you know, they need to draft Kyle Pitts or they need to draft um, Devontae Smith, you know, something like that. I, I don't think they need a playmaker. They need to draft a left tackle so Joe Burrow's not running for his life every single play. That's what they yeah, need to draft. Defensive line, right, yeah. You know, you can have a great playmaker, but it doesn't matter if your quarterback's getting hit three seconds after he takes the snap. That, that's an absurd take. They need a tackle. They need an offensive line and a good quarterback like Joe Burrow will make his weapons good. And, and arguably you can stand to add some weapons too, but it, you need to build inside out first. And I, I don't like that, but Baltimore, Baltimore is an interesting case because Baltimore is still one of those teams, even, even though I, I kind of agree with your take about, you know, them being a little bit different and, and maybe not the same feeling as last year they're still dangerous and they're still dangerous because they are so good at running the ball. It's that old narrative of, you know, you have to tackle Lamar, but then you have to tackle Dobbins. Well, then you have to tackle Gus Edwards. Oh, but guess what? Mark Ingram's still there too. There's a lot of weapons for them to, to touch and they seem to run it successfully. 400 yards for a team is nothing to happen. Nothing to, um, you know, really look down upon for any reason because it's only happened a couple times in NFL history. So you're talking about something that is that is very rare in a team that is very good at running the ball. The the question though is I, I have two slight questions. The defense is not the Ravens defense of past. It is a good defense and they do play strong. Players like Marlon Humphrey are exciting to watch because every time somebody catches a ball in front of Marlon Humphrey, it feels like he's ripping it out of their hands. So that's fun. But it's it's still not that same stout defense that it has been passed with guys like Ray Lewis and Terrell Suggs, but Lamar's arm, Lamar's arm is going to be the big question moving forward. And, and we'll talk more about that Friday, but uh, as for the game on Sunday, that's, that's kind of how you expect the Ravens to beat the Bengals in 2020. Yeah. That was the game that Hanson went to because it had playoff implications, but he didn't need to go to it. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? Because like during a blowout like that, he tries to stay away from games, obviously like that, because you know what I mean? That what's the point, you know what I mean? Other than showing the touchdowns like red zone does. And, and they kept having to go to it because it had 
a lot of playoff implications. I just we're gonna we're gonna go to the Baltimore Cincinnati game because Baltimore is about to score their fourth touchdown of the quarter. And J.K. Dobbins, by the way, uh, I doing the uh, the Ohio State the o, the O.H. as your uh, touchdown celebration. I mean, give it a rest. You know, you're not in college anymore. Um, I get it. You're probably uh, proud that you played at Ohio State, but you know, you rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know why. First, first time I heard OH, I got scared because I didn't know what was happening. I was at a, I was at a concert in Columbus, and I, I didn't realize that that was a chant. And uh, the, the artist on stage chanted out OH, and everybody yelled back, and I didn't process what they said, and I was very afraid because I thought that I had missed out on something. But come to find out, it's just a Columbus thing for the for the Buckeyes. So, <laughs> speaking of the state of uh, Ohio, um, Ryan. A show <laughs> wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people didn't know this show. Do you know the Drew Carey show from back in the day? I never saw it, but I know what it is. Okay, so I knew about Drew Carey. Obviously, whose line it is it anyway, right? Drew Carey's show before, way before he took over. Um, you know, I'm a kid. Way before he took over uh, the Price Is Right gig uh, for Bob. And um, in the intro, the song is Cleveland Rocks, Cleveland Rocks. Cleveland rocks intro to the Drew Carey show. Cleveland does rock winning yesterday, 24 to 22. I'm very excited for the Cleveland Browns. They're going to the playoffs for two, for the first time since 2002. And um, look, I, it, it's, it's, it is almost incredible to think about and sit here that me and you both have made Brown jokes plenty of times way before we started the show. And when we weren't doing the show and we were, you know, uh, sitting back in our uh, college uh, classes back in the day um, together. But, I mean, look, they went 0-16. You know what I mean? They went 1-15, right? They had Hugh Jackson. One of the best hard knock seasons I've actually ever watched, uh, ironically enough, was the Hugh Jackson, Baker, and uh, <laughs> that that whole hard knocks, <laughs> looking back at it, by the way, when you watch it and the opening scene is Hugh Jackson going into uh, a lake because he went one and 15 the year before is no own 16, excuse me. Cause he went on 16. It's incredible. You know what I mean? And, and what they've done, I don't, I don't even know if I can put it into words because they're doing it without Odell. Right. That in David Njoku, I read reports in the off season that he wanted to be traded. What's his future look like? Is he going to be on the team next year? I don't know. Austin Hooper seems like a nice number two tight end, but doesn't feel like a number one. I I feel so happy for them. Baker went 17 for 27, 196, one touchdown. And it was cool to see fans at the game, like even socially distanced. Like I know we just talked about like how it it's missing something with no fans, but it was amazing to see because you know what it took me back to before I let you get into your point here? I know it's a long answer that I'm giving. I'm ready. When Baker, when I was watching that Thursday night game a couple mm-hmm. years ago with the Jets, and you felt the energy change to where it's one of those sports moments sometimes, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're watching a game, you can feel it through the TV set when you're not there. Like, okay, things are really starting to turn for them. And then he had the down year, but for him to be able to essentially wrap up that game yesterday with the slide inbounds on the fourth and one, it's incredible. I'm very happy for them. 
I don't know. I don't have, uh, I have one Browns uh, <laughs> friend who's a fan. Um, she's ecstatic and uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy for her. And I don't think there's a team in professional sports outside of maybe the Sacramento Kings that I can think about that deserves as much postseason success than the Cleveland Browns, because those are the only two franchises that come to my mind that's had as much heartbreak. Well, Atlanta. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I don't know the exact number and I'm looking it up now, but um, the Seattle Mariners in baseball are, are a pretty, pretty miserable franchise when it comes to that too. I don't see they oh, yeah. have the longest the, the, drought at 19 years. Okay. 2001, right? 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they won the most games that season and they haven't been to the post. They haven't been in the postseason since. So one, one of those deals, but yeah, I, I feel good for Cleveland. And I know that I predicted that they would lose. And, and again, that was a pick with the heart and, and, and the Steelers, again, they didn't have some players that played. And I know that, you know, there's, there's a lot of Steeler fans that I see on Steeler Twitter that are saying, Oh, you played the JV squad, wait until you play the pro squad. And I, I understand the rivalry, but you know, from an objective perspective, it's hard not to feel good for Cleveland because that's a city that has suffered. And, and I said it in one of our earliest episodes and I'll say it in, until I'm gone. I, I think that teams like the Browns have to have the best fans because the loyalty to stick with a team through 17 years of, of missing the playoffs. And quite frankly, for many of those years being flat out abysmal is that's a level of dedication that most of us don't have to go through. You know, I've always said that about being a Steeler fan is, you know, the, the, the lowest season that I've seen, you know, since 2004 is eight and eight. You know, and that feels like a loss to so many, you know, Steeler fans. How could we ever be 500? We should win Super Bowls. So I, I get that. I respect that. Um, hot take for you. You know, we're, you know, we've said it before. We're West Virginia guys. I've always been a fan of Baker Mayfield. There's, there's something about Baker Mayfield's mentality and the way that he carries himself. I, I understand that some people see it as cocky. Um, and, and, you know, there were some things that he did in college that, that people have, you know, brought up and, and, oh, I can't believe he did that. Or like the Kansas thing that he did whenever he was you know, grabbing himself on the sideline. But there's a certain swagger that follows him where he goes. And even whenever he doesn't have a superstar game or he doesn't have the biggest numbers or something, there is a level of swagger that follows Baker Mayfield wherever he goes. And, and you can just feel that. And, and when you brought up the, the Thursday night game against the Jets, it seems like such a minor game in the scope of things. Oh, you know, the Browns break their winning streak or, or their losing streak rather. But that swagger follows Baker Mayfield where he goes. And, and I feel like it's really translated to his career in Cleveland so far. Um, I think that will continue. But it, he is an exciting player to watch. And I've been a fan of his for a while. Uh, you know, even even being on both sides of his rivalry uh, in, in college, whenever he was playing for Oklahoma, carving up the Mountaineers defense uh, and, and playing in Cleveland whenever he's a, a rival with Pittsburgh. I've, I've always been a fan of his. So it's it's exciting to see them in the playoffs. And, and quite frankly, as a Steelers fan, I'm excited to see this matchup at full strength next week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Dallas Giants game, Giants had 336 yards of total offense. Really, all I got on this game, the only mem- the only two memorable plays is uh, Dalton throwing a pick, uh, which he basically threw it up like it was 500. Uh, Moneyball. Um, and then you had the fumble where Wayne Gallman, <laughs> um, he almost had an all-timer, like, 
wow moment because like and real quick the refs i don't know if you saw what the refs said in that game but they said the refs the the refs said that he was down when he clearly fumbled the ball standing up that the runner was down and then another ref came in and said the ball is dallas's and so there was like a five minute delay in action because the refs legitimately had no idea what was going on that's going to be one of those plays that rewrites a section of the rule book. In, in this offseason, that'll be one of those plays that they look back. Wayne Gallman's now going to have his own rule because of you can't like sit on the ball for possession or something of that nature. So be on the lookout for that, the Wayne Gallman rule in the next few years. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, is that all you got on the game? Because, I mean, it, it wasn't very memorable. It, was, it would be a much more memorable game if the football team would have lost uh, you know, certainly both teams had something to play for and, and they, the Giants ultimately came out victorious. But as, as weird as the NFC East season is, a, a game that really had division implications doesn't really mean too much in the scope of things whenever, um, whenever the other team wins. So unfortunately, I don't have a lot on that game, but it, it just didn't yeah. feel memorable for a game that did have implications. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad we see eye to eye on that. Uh, <laughs> move, moving along. Uh, Tampa Bay, Atlanta. Hey, Tom Brady's 43. You want to know how many touchdowns he has on the season? 43. Threw four touchdowns yesterday, 399, almost breaking 400. Look, I am so tired of people telling me Tom Brady's washed up. It has, I think it should be his last year, though. But because I, like I said before, I think if he plays a year or two, you know, next year, I, I think it's too long. But um, yeah, they look good. I, the Mike Evans injury, uh, whatever's, that's questionable. That's questionable because Antonio Brown actually kind of looked good yesterday. I, I, I don't know what to think of Tampa, though. And I feel like we say that every single episode. Yeah, we've we've been back and forth on Tampa for a while, but such is the NFL season. Um, Antonio Brown got his incentive with a couple shovel passes at the end of the game. So nice way to make a couple hundred thousand dollars in your contract. That must be nice. But Tampa Tampa is an interesting case, and, and I've said it multiple times, but – with a guy like Tom Brady, you can never count a team like that out. Um, the, the defense is certainly going to be a key in that, too, as you have to stop these teams. But I think the NFC East, uh, I, I, th I think the clear favorite in the NFC East is, is still the Packers. And, and again, we'll talk about this as we go further down the line in playoffs. But, you know, if, if some team can knock off the Packers, which, again, may, may or may not happen, it's kind of wide open. It, it, you're not really sure who it's going to be, but the, the Buccaneers feel like a good candidate to do that. Uh, certainly the Mike Evans injury, it, it doesn't sound like anything is, is seriously wrong. So he may be able to play, but it, it does hurt when you take weapons off the field. So you're right. Questionable to be determined, but the Bucs are still one of those teams that you feel like can make a deep playoff run. Yeah, they looked really good yesterday, but it's Atlanta and, True. you know, uh, that feels like uh, going forward um, as we, you know, go through, you know, life as sports fans, that's going to be the new town that just seems cursed, uh, you know, like the new Cleveland or the new Cubs, because uh, that 28-3 uh, Super Bowl, we're going to look back on that years from now and be like, oh, that's what made them go into mediocrity and, you know, terrible team after terrible team. Yeah, well, in other sports too, the Hawks are traditionally a more um, and the mediocre. Braves. 
franchise and the, and the Braves, the Braves are coming around and, and could, could potentially win a world series. But last year they, uh, they ran into the brick wall that was the Dodgers, unfortunately. Yeah. Indy Jacksonville, the game had meaning. It had meaning because of Miami's loss. That's the only reason it had meaning. Um, 30 carries for Jonathan Taylor, 253 yards, two touchdowns from Wisconsin. He's used to playing in Lucas Oil Stadium. So uh, he's, he's probably used to uh, running on uh, bad defenses because uh, he won a couple Big Ten titles at his time at Wisco. But I don't know with Indy. I feel like I've said that for the for Tampa Bay as well. You know what I mean? Indy and Tampa um, Bay, the, the quarterbacks or the teams led by old quarterbacks, we, we are – unsure about and it's almost like you know what they're doing it's like they're bringing in uh bullpen like type quarterbacks it's like Jacoby Brissett is like a, a middle relief pitcher um but instead of keeping Philip Rivers out for the rest of the game they bring him back in and it's just like changing a starting rotation I don't know what to think of them they beat Jacksonville by two touchdowns and that game was actually a lot closer than people expected and I mean if they would have missed the playoffs would any of us been shocked because they had a couple tough losses this year and they just, they look me, they look mediocre. I know they're in the playoffs, but they, they don't look, there's nothing flashy about them. There's, there's nothing where you look at them and say, I see them holding a, a Lombardi at the end of this playoff run. Well, and some of those teams are dangerous too, right? You, you know, you don't really know what to expect and uh, a team in Indy that is, that has proven that they can win games and obviously make the playoff. Look, I'm happy for Jonathan Taylor because He's, he's really put together a fine rookie season at the running back position. Really, uh, maybe two of the best rookie running backs, if not the two best rookie running backs um, for those two teams, James Robinson and Jonathan Taylor. But in, Indy's still that weird case. I feel like Indy and Tampa Bay are the two teams that we seem to not be able to make up our mind on, kind of where we stand with them, because they feel like, especially Tampa, but I feel like Indy's one of those teams that could get hot and could potentially, you know, grind out a way to the AFC championship game. I don't foresee that happening, but it, they could pull an upset and, and you would be a little shocked about it. And then they get, then they get beat in the championship. I mean, again, it, it's to be determined, but I'm, I'm glad for Indy. That's another franchise that I, I think that they're going to move on from Phillip rivers here soon. I think he's probably done at the end of the season. So uh, bridging the way for, Carson Wentz. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a moment. Uh, Green Bay, Chicago, MVP Aaron Rodgers. It's, is it going to be the first time in a decade where he makes the Super Bowl? It looks that way. He looks like he's playing the best football he's ever played. I think one of the big things too, and not to minimize what Aaron Rodgers has done, because I agree with you, Ryan. I think he is the I think he is the MVP. As good as Patrick Mahomes has played, as good as Russell Wilson's played, Aaron Rodgers has is, in my opinion, had the best season. I think, I think again, not to minimize him, but I think one of the biggest reasons that he's having that successful season is because he has the best complement of a run game that he's had maybe during his career. He's you know, he's had some decent running backs, but the, the combination of Aaron Jones and, and those other running backs, I, I, the names elude me off the top of my head. I know A.J. Dillon is one of them. Um, when he has Devontae Adams on the outside and he has uh, uh, Vandalez Scandling. Is that how the name goes? It's, Van, uh, Valdez Scantlin? Mar yeah. Mar Marquez Valdez Scantlin? Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, definitely We're, a hyphen name. 
I want to just say, as we're doing it, I want to say Weongalale because I'm, I'm still practicing that name. So just just fun, just fun to say because I, I feel like I've accomplished something. But uh, yeah, I, I think Green Bay is is really is is really the team to beat in the NFC, and and they've proven that. Now again, they they haven't they they keep coming out with those things and saying, well, they haven't played the, the biggest and baddest talent. But okay, fine. But it's still they're still on the top of the they're still on the top of the division and they're still the team to beat in the in the NFC and the division is going to run through them so that's going to be it's going to be how it works. Jamal Williams is the other running back. I apologize to everybody that is a Packers fan listening to this. Also, it irritates me. I don't know why, but that Matt Nagy is going to return as the Bears coach next season. It's like he hasn't done anything to take that team to the next level. It's. And what are they going to do with Mitch? Mitch is the biggest question probably outside of Carson Wentz of any quarterback on any NFL roster this offseason, right? Because they have Nick Foles' huge contract. I I feel like they're going to let Mitch go and they're going to keep Nick. I I, I don't see Ooh. how, though, they're going to keep two, you know, both of them. Interesting. L.A., Arizona, John Wolford. Um, your, uh, your personal financier, John Wolford, uh, who still has a LinkedIn profile, uh, which is pretty amazing played in the AAF for the Arizona hotshots. I know you were a big fan of Arizona hotshot football. Um, I I know you have a Jersey somewhere there. I bought all the t-shirts. He, he got a start yesterday with Jared Goff down and Arizona has one of the most in, in least in my memory, most recent postseason collapses because they were sitting pretty at the five seed just as easy as two months ago, and they're they're now out of it. And L.A., they need Jared Goff back to, to obviously make a deep run. But Arizona, that's really where the story is. I mean, what a massive late-season collapse. And I've never really thought Cliff Kingsbury was an NFL head coach guy I, I was surprised when he took that job, you know what I mean? Especially when USC was his place of employment before that. I just, it's, uh, yeah, I, LA, Arizona, it was a weird game. Jim Nance and Boomer Esiason, I don't know why Tony wasn't in the booth, but um, yeah, it was Jim Nance and Boomer. I think Tony was was COVID protocol, if I remember that correctly. But uh, we had John Walford on one side, and then Kyler Murray was hurt throughout the duration of the game. So we got to see Chris Strebler uh, in the Arizona side. So imagine that you're playing for a playoff spot, essentially, on both sides of that game, and the quarterbacks are John Walford and Chris Strebler. It almost feels like – do you remember the game Blitz the League? Yeah. Yeah. It almost feels like two quarterback names that you'd throw into that, and you're like, oh, it's a playoff game. But it, it's it was such a weird game, and you know I'm I'm starting to think, and and obviously it has happened here with um with Arizona that we just overhyped the hail mary. I think that's what it really was. I, I think at the end of the day we just overhyped a, a fantastic play, a great throw, a great catch. We just overhyped it. Yeah, it was a great play, and, and Arizona had a little bit of momentum earlier in the season, but we overhyped a play that that really defined them this year in a lot of ways but it, it didn't translate to success and uh, one thing I'll say about this and, and if the news comes out we'll certainly talk about it again but if that's the last game or the last time that Larry Fitzgerald takes the field he, he didn't play on Sunday but if that is theoretically the last time that he would have the opportunity to play in a game a fantastic career for a fantastic human being and and 
it's going to be different not not seeing Larry Fitzgerald on Sundays, much like um, other legends that we expect to retire this offseason too. First ballot. Absolutely. One of the best one of the best of his era, no doubt. The other NFC West matchup, Seattle, San Francisco. That was that was odd. Uh, Seattle ran for 120, 21 yards, uh, one touchdown. And the game had meaning going into it, but I mean, the scoreboard was obviously on and they kind of, kind of eased off the gas a little bit in Seattle once they saw that score of the Green Bay game. And um, it makes sense, right? Because that was the only way they could move up if New Orleans lost, if Green Bay lost, you know, and Seattle won, they could have even clinched the one seed. So, um, you know, obviously a tough win. Uh, it seems like they don't play well uh, in, in the uh, Arizona Stadium for whatever reason. Uh, remember the uh, the pick? The Super yeah. Bowl? Yeah. Um, it's just, it was weird. And I, I tell you what, I think Seattle is going to make the deep run out of the NFC and play Green Bay in that NFC championship game. Um, but we'll talk about that, about that going um, forward in the weeks to come. Could be fun to watch. That'd be a fun matchup to watch of, of two great quarterbacks, Russell and, and Aaron Rodgers. But yeah, I'm, I mean, you hate to diminish meaning in a game, but if, if you're basically only playing for seeding at that point and you can't clinch better than a three seed or a two seed in, in some circumstances, there's really not, there's really not a whole lot to play for. So I do understand the resting your resting your starters in that regard. If, if you want to be able to give them extra rest, but you know, that's kind of where Seattle fell victim to, but they're, uh, they're guaranteed to play a weird game on wildcard weekend because that seems to be the only way that Seattle can play playoff games is very strangely. Yes. Uh, and speaking of teams that they're odd is the saints. What in the world do we do with them? Right. Because they look terrible against the Eagles, right? And then they look dominant yesterday against Carolina, 33 to seven. Drew Brees, three touchdowns, 201 yards. Is it just me or does it feel like it's Drew Brees last year? I mean, and they, they put Taysom Hill in for most of that, you know, late third quarter, fourth quarter game yesterday. I feel like it's Drew Brees' last year, and I, I feel like it's earned in that regard. You know, he's obviously had a great career, and and similar to Larry Fitzgerald, if if we you know see him for the last time one of these upcoming weekends, what a what a career. But the thing about Drew Brees is is he hasn't shown that same level of deep balls that some of these other older quarterbacks have shown. Uh, you know, I know that there was question in Pittsburgh about whether Ben could throw a deep ball, but then he basically said, well, I'm going to run the offense and we'll, we'll prove that wrong. And, and he was fine with it, but Drew Brees has struggled with that. And, and obviously he's had shoulder, shoulder surgery. I apologize throughout his career. Yeah, so that, that, you know, diminishes it a little bit and, and it does affect you, but you know, the, the Saints are kind of that – they're kind of weird in that sense. Now, I've seen this about the Steelers, but the Saints kind of fall in the same category for me. Like, if the Saints got beat by 17, I'd be like, yeah, okay. But if the Saints won by 25 next weekend, yeah, okay. I really don't, I don't, I don't really know how to – I don't really know how to feel about it. But I think their matchup favors them uh, playing Chicago next weekend specifically. But, again, that's, that's for next episode. But – they they just feel strange, kind of like Seattle. That's why I'm picking. That's why I'm picking Green Bay because they kind of feel like the team I'm most confident in. Well, I'll tell you a team that I'm confident in, Tennessee. Ooh, Tennessee 41, Houston 38. That was the game of the day. 
If you didn't watch that game, I don't know what you were doing. I don't know where you were. I hope you watched that game. Derrick Henry, 250, the wrecking ball, two touchdowns. He hit 2,000. He we hit didn't think 2000. it was going to happen. It was unbelievable. It was incredible to watch. And then they go down with 16 seconds left in that game. Who throws a dime? Ryan Tannehill. I mean, and you had the doink in. You had the doink into the playoffs, literally a doink into the playoffs. Um, that game was incredible. Houston, they're in rebuilding mode, right? They have Deshaun Watson, but they're in rebuilding mode. But that game was fun yesterday, and um, they're going to host a game in Nashville. Yeah, that that was a fun game. I actually watched that one pretty much all the way through. Just it it was it was the CBS game that came on after the Steelers, and I kind of just lay there stagnant after the game. I even took a little nap after the game, so I, I kind of woke right up on Sunday. Just just a short one after the Steeler game. Okay, you know the pizza and wings got to me. I, you know I, I only missed like I only missed a couple minutes of the first quarter, so I was okay. I was fine. Okay. Um, good news, <laughs> but. I woke up and I just didn't really have the the heart to change it. I don't know why. Like that felt like the game I wanted to watch. I picked a good one. It it, it worked out well. But that Tannehill dime was was something to admire at the end of the game. That was fantastic. And also too, we we said it. We didn't think Derrick Henry was going to get to two thousand. We thought it was a stretch, but um, he needed two twenty three and he ran for two fifty. So don't don't ever count out him. He is amazing to watch. It did feel like at some point, though, you know, they're just trying to get in the record in some degree. And I get that. I think that's a fair thing to do. But, you know, when you're in company, 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 that's the right word. When you're in company with players like O.J. Simpson and Adrian Peterson, um, you know, the the great Jamal Lewis season, obviously, Eric Dickerson, the all-time. Yes. And and two Titans players have done it now. And, and Chris Johnson, I think is maybe underrated in the terms of NFL running back history, but Derrick Henry is certainly carving his path to potentially an all-time great at the running back position. So keep on the watch out for Derrick Henry because bold prediction, he might be the first running back ever to run for 2000 yards in a season twice. Ooh, is that a crystal ball? That is a crystal ball. Okay, I'll put that in the file going forward because I like that crystal ball. I wouldn't be shocked. It looks effortless for him at times, right? I mean, he's the wrecking ball. I think of the one touchdown where he went off tackle to the left. And, I mean, it was great blocking, obviously, by his offensive line. They pinned everybody in. But it it, it almost looked like he was on roller skates, just kind of skating his way into the end zone. And it didn't even look fair. So, 2021 might be another uh, another 2K year for, for King Henry. Oh, I know what that sound means. Washington, Philly. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, uh, where do I start? Uh, the, the first thing is Jalen Hurts was taken out of the game, unless you were living under a rock, uh, for Nate Suffield, who – Nate Suffield sounds like uh, your accountant. Sounds like your accountant who you take your uh, W-2s to at the end of the year – and uh, get your taxes done by. He could also be an L two. He could be a law student somewhere. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Have you been Have you been harmed by whatever? Uh, please contact the Nate Sudfield uh, <laughs> law firm. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean Jalen Hurts missed a, a fourth and goal, but I mean that you got to leave him in. Got to leave him in. 
Now, I mean, if he gets injured, you know, that looks bad, I'm sure. But, I mean, you need stuff going into the offseason to build on, and that wasn't it. It was a gross primetime game. I can't believe I stayed up for all of it. I mean, it was – it wasn't even, like, defensive football. It was just, like, neither of them could score. And Alex Smith, like, would miss, like, low checkdowns. I don't know. It's frustrating. Washington only had 248 yards of offense and five for 56 uh, – five penalties for 56 yards. I, I'm i over it. I mean, Nick's basketball. I'll, I'll get irritated over that instead of the Eagles. I mean, you're, you're more of a Knicks fan, though. I understand that, but – you know, the, the big thing coming out of this game is basically people questioning the integrity of the game uh, by replacing Jalen Hurts with Nate Sutfeld. And I mean, I, the odd, the odd yeah, I, I think the odd thing about it, though, is, is, you know, we understand that, you know, when you get to this week, teams don't have anything to play for. And the Eagles are one of those teams. They, they don't have anything to play for. Now, I understand it would feel good to knock your rival out of the playoffs and such. I don't know how much of it was, let's see what Nate Sudfeld could do. But, you know, just based on some clips I've seen on the internet, it, it didn't look like Jalen Hurts was overly happy with what happened. And, and my argument for taking Jalen Hurts out of the game is, and you can attest to this better than I can because you are an Eagles fan, but this is just my outside assessment looking in. You take the first... I guess three quarters of the season almost with Carson Wentz and and you're bashing your head on a wall because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So Jalen Hurts comes in and and gives you that spark and and provides that that kind of light almost to say, uh, you know, maybe he can be a professional quarterback. Maybe, maybe he does have those skills, right? Plays a couple good three games. I mean, few struggles that's to be expected with a guy who's not expected to be the starting quarterback last game of the year you just yank him out you don't give him any more time to to do it I mean I realize you're going to have an offseason after this and this is the last game but are, are you and nothing against Nate Sutfeld but are you banking your future on Nate Sutfeld I mean did, did he have a contract incentive we don't know about he throws five passes he gets a million dollars I don't know it you almost feel like it has to be something like that because as much promise as Jalen Hurts has shown, you want him to see those live reps against a great defense, one that he will see a lot in his career. What's the point of taking him out? I don't know if it's necessarily I'm, – I'm not big in the it's, it's fixed realm personally, but I, I can see where people are coming with this because it feels like an odd move to take your quarterback out that you're kind of leveraging your future on and you know, just kind of throw it in. Couldn't have said it better myself. I'm over the season, the painful, miserable season that it was. Uh, I'll, I'll suffer through Knicks basketball um, <laughs> going forward. Um, Ryan, so – I mean, you know, all these great guests, all these great episodes, segments, um, where can where can they listen to us? Where can they find us? Well, if you're going to listen to us, I am assuming already that you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify. So you guys know where to do that. Check us out on Apple and Spotify. Subscribe, uh, especially on those platforms too. leave us a rating if you're enjoying the show. 
It's such a quick thing to do. Drop a five-star rating. If you're enjoying the show, we much appreciate that. But for our socials, be sure you're following us on the main platforms. You're going to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, so with those platforms, they're a little bit different. A lot of show updates. Uh, Twitter will do some live updates of games that we've been watching. We had a couple memes that we really enjoyed over the uh, college football weekend. Uh, but on TikTok, that's where Ryan and I are doing live reactions or instant reactions to, to breaking news and games that may not be able to make it on the show. Uh, for instance, you didn't hear us talk about the college football playoff in this show because we have our instant reactions on our TikToks. So make sure that you're following us on there too to get live show updates too. Uh, we just we just broke a, a 100 with that. So let's keep that train rolling because we're going to have more content on there. So make sure you're following us again. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok to Ryan Sports Show. Yeah, more great guests, more show. We'll see everyone Friday. We'll see you all later.